The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. It's good morning to Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, we have a number of topics today. The flu was non-existed during the COVID pandemic, which, of course, is still uh, we're still struggling with. But what does that mean? Yeah, it's fascinating. This is a really good scientific question, Pat. There was almost no flu in America and in Europe uh, last flu season. I mean, normally flu kills 20,000, 30,000 people a year in the US. We've got good numbers in the US. Only 600 people died of the flu in the last flu season, whereas nearly 500,000 people died of COVID. You know, it's a massive difference between flu and COVID. And of course, the scientists want to know why that would be. Now, it's obvious in a way because obviously social distancing and hand washing and, and the masks, they work really well against flu, you see. So there's one big reason why there will be less flu. But it's a really interesting question because both are respiratory viruses, obviously. We know a lot about them. So a lot of science is going on to try to explore this more and more. Now, clearly people have been, you know, washing surfaces down with uh, uh, bug killers and they've been washing their hands and wearing masks and so on. Uh, but all of that did not necessarily help as much against COVID. So what are they saying about the nature of the two respiratory bugs? That's what's so important, Pat, because you're right. I mean, we now know that COVID is spread slightly differently to flu. The evidence is absolutely compelling. It's it's infected air is the main place you get infected with COVID, whereas flu, it's mainly surfaces. So therefore, all the wiping of surfaces worked better against flu than against COVID. And extremely importantly, Pat, ventilation, yet again, we keep banging that drum, don't we? That the main mitigator against COVID in indoors is good ventilation. That's the number one thing to think about. And as the winter comes on, let's hope we're, we're keeping an eye on that one. You know, so there's a different, even though they're both coming out of your mouth, they're in droplets, the virus lives in your lungs, there's many similarities. You know, it turns out COVID comes out in these tiny aerosols, which can float on the breeze, whereas, whereas flu is more droplet based, you see. So that, that seems to be a major difference. The second one though, Pat, is remember um, there was lots of vaccines against flu anyway. And, and there was an uptick in vaccine use against flu in the, in, because people obviously are aware of infectious diseases more and they're inclined to go for their flu shot more than other seasons. They reckon that was another reason. And then, of course, less travel. But that, that would affect both, you know. Mm. So it could be the vaccine was more prominent against flu. And, of course, that'll be different with COVID. Now that we have a great vaccine, that should help there. But, but a major reason was this notion of, uh, of aerosol spread versus droplet surface space spread. And a second one, Pat, that's really important is flu is not a super spreader disease. So, in other words, one person can infect two and two infect four with flu. COVID is super spread, which means one person infects eight or nine. And most people affect nobody, you see, and that's a big difference when, when it comes to looking at these two different diseases. Now, let's talk about uh, children and not being exposed to the flu virus. There are some pretty serious implications for them. Yeah, there's always something to, to worry about, isn't there? So, so the worry would be, it's good to pick up the flu as a child because then you build up immunity. That's the way the immune system works and then you're protected, especially against a severe bout next time around. The trouble is, if children aren't picking up flu here and there, when they become adults and they haven't had flu as a child, they may get very severe disease, you see, because it'll be their first encounter with flu. So there's a slight concern Strangely, there's a slight concern that eliminating flu or having less flu could have longer term consequences. Now, of course, what you do about that is the next question. But certainly they'll be looking out now and say five to honestly in the next five, six, seven years, will people develop severe flu then because they didn't pick up flu as children? Mm -hmm. That's one thing that they're going to keep an eye on. 
So therefore, you know where they normally say if you're over 60, if you're da-da-da, get the flu vaccine, um, which is free, they might have to start looking at younger people who have not been exposed to the flu virus and give them the vaccine as well or mount a campaign to get their immune system kind of geared up for flu. Now, a new vaccine for whatever it might be, for whatever virus... In a hundred days. Now, yeah. that's an ambition. I don't know. Are you watching the G7 pad at the moment? I mean, it's not, this is actually yeah. all about the G7 summit. So they have a massive item to discuss. It's called the Pandemic Preparedness Partnership. It's been led by the Department of Health in the UK. And they're having a massive discussion. Can they get a vaccine in a hundred days if, an, if another pandemic starts? And it's all about preparing us for... The, I know it's a horrible thing to consider, isn't it? But if there is a risk of another pandemic, how quick can we turn that one around and stop the disastrous events of the past year? Massive discussion. It's, it's, it's going to be a massive collaborative discussion between companies, of course, like pharma companies obviously are involved, but universities, medical researchers, regulators are all going to be put in a group. Now, this is after the G7, just planning it, you know, to, to discuss, can you get a vaccine in 100 days? Now, of course, we got a vaccine in 300 days, which was still remarkable. As, as we all know by now, last year, it was tremendous that we got the vaccine so quickly, didn't we, by, by November last year when Pfizer announced their big success. That was the big moment of relief. So th- it took 300 days the last time and they want to get it down to 100 days. And it's very feasible, Pat, because now they know what to do, you know. And it'll just be a question of organising it and having coordinate. It's a complex thing to achieve, obviously, so massive coordination. And between countries as well, the G7, they want to collaborate on this big thing. So it's a very interesting uh, kind of discussion they're going to have with the G7. Yeah. Now, you might have the vaccine. You still have to go through trials. Um, and that will take, you know, it's not a question of day one, we isolate a virus and three months later, you're having a shot in the arm. You yeah. still have to prove it. Yeah, the bulk of the hundred will be the trials, actually, to be honest, because you, you can make the virus, the RNA vaccines can be almost made in a day. You can you just make the RNA okay. molecule. It's very quick, you see. And now we know what bag to put the RNA in, these little fatty bags, as we mentioned, which contains the RNA. And then that can be made almost overnight, you see. So in other words, they'll do, they'll do it. They'll do animal testing first, of course, in the safe side, straight into humans once that's shown to be safe. The phase one, two, three will then run. So the bulk of the hundred, actually, as you say, Pat, is in safety measurements and efficacy measurements, you know, but that, that'll be built into it. It's very feasible to be honest. I mean, where does a will, there's a way territory, but as you can imagine, you know, because we don't want pandemic in the next one. Come, we don't want SARS-CoV-3, do we, in, in a year or two years time, you see. So, so this, this is a very good development in a way to prepare us just in case there should be another pandemic. Now, one of the treatments they've developed during this pandemic is the use of monoclonal antibodies um, as a therapeutic. Uh, What do we now know about their effectiveness? Yeah, they were always seen as our best bet, actually. But we thought the vaccines would take longer to develop. As you may, our discussions, we always thought it'd take maybe a year and a half to get a vaccine. So the stopgap would have been to give antibodies because obviously the immune system makes the antibodies and they neutralise the virus and you can use antibodies as a therapy. And you may have remembered the, the convalescent serum idea where you took antibodies from someone who'd had the disease and that could be used. But you can make antibodies in the lab and as you say, they're called monoclonals. And there are several approved, you see, and you can give those to people, say, and that will mop up the virus and work quite well. But the big question is can the variants get around them because the variant might change and now the antibody that you made to the previous one doesn't work anymore and that was a concern a second concern was if you give someone an antibody maybe a virus would escape that antibody you see and then that, that'll be problematic as well but now Regeneron and it's, it's the company that g- gave Trump, the, remember Trump was given these Regeneron antibodies and they were still experimental they've now shown if you give two antibodies instead of one they work really well and they work against any variant, it's an amazing study but it's, it, it's pre-clinical, it's done in a lab 
but still it was done in a very sort of a, a careful way and mainly, mainly in animal models initially you know but it turns out if you give two different very different antibodies they work really well together and ma- many dr- many diseases can be treated with combination therapies anyway you see HIV is a good example you give combination so it looks at like a combination of antibodies is really powerful to to attack the virus head on and will work against any var- they tested all the variants that are at the moment they even made variants but that don't exist if you can believe it by modifying the spike they worked well against that as well so, so this is a big paper because it suggests that the antibody approach will be a very good backup just in case vaccines do turn out to be less efficacious you can give people two antibodies and both it's like a double blow in many ways should take out any variants so it's a really it's a really good study now, we know that Joe Biden's on the move. He's over in the UK and meet Boris and they have the G7 meeting and then he'll be talking to NATO. But he leaves the United States with quite a lot of good news in terms of the states that have reached his target because his target was vaccinating 70% of American adults with at least one dose by July 4th. And in some states, they're well on the way. Yeah, but that was great. You sent me that was a great report, wasn't it, Bloomberg? I mean, it's it's a remarkable achievement in America. It's a very big country, obviously, and there's so many millions of people, and there's there is hesitancy in America. Remember, against vaccines, maybe more prominent than we would have here, for example. Over 13 states have now hit the over 70 percent because by the fourth of July, he said, let's have 70 percent vaccinated. So 13 states have, have now hit 70 percent. Uh, Vermont and Hawaii, there's two nice places to visit. Pat, maybe uh, they've got to 80 percent. So in other words, you, you've seen the most spectacular logistical vaccination campaign in history there. Can you imagine, Pat, in the space of, what is it, six months, you've now vaccinated 70% of the people in 13 states have had one shot. I mean, it's a huge logistical achievement. So Biden will deliver, basically, and he'll also deliver beyond that. Because, of course, the 4th of July is a few weeks away. I'll bet they'll get to 80% of uh, people having one shot in most of the states in America. So it's a really, really impressive campaign they've had there. They obviously have to persuade them to get the second shot where that's appropriate because the so-called Delta variant, the Indian variant, um, might cause some havoc because we, you've discussed on this program with me um, how getting the second shot of various vaccines is important in not being too sick if you do happen to contract the yep, Indian yep. variant. In fact, there's a massive incentive to come back for your second. It's quite good, Pat, because people are incentivized to come back for the second shot now because, as you say, that Delta has it's changed from the original one, of course. It's slightly more damaging, you know, so the second shot will really strengthen your, co- your suit of armour is the great analogy. The first shot still gives you some protection, remember. And, and it's still, there's still evidence, Pat, that the first shot would still stop severe disease with the variants, remember. So it's not too bad, you know. But there's no doubt the second shot really strengthens your immune system against that Delta one for a start and other ones that might come along. So everybody should turn up for their second shot is the, is the clear message. And, and then people always ask me, what about Johnson & Johnson? Now, that's still a very effective vaccine. That's stopping severe disease as well. But it wouldn't surprise me to recommend a second shot for Johnson & Johnson in, in the next few months as well, which is fine. So if, if that happens, if you had Johnson & Johnson, anticipate being asked to come back for a second shot maybe later in the year and that'll be fine as well. There were a number of other stories knocking around. Uh, You know, in India, the good news is that the rate of daily infection dropped below 100,000 cases. Yeah. In the last few days. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you see, the, the world is badly divided, Pat, as, 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 as you know. I mean, you know, in South Africa, there was a 25% increase in cases in the last couple of days. So it's not as if this virus has gone away at all in these other countries, and they have to be a big focus. But India seems to be turning it around, which is tremendous. It's a massive country, remember, with, what is it, 1.4 billion people. And their mm. numbers are falling. So they are getting, are getting a handle on it, which is great to see. 
Uh, and uh, how about the generosity of Western nations uh, to the developing world or the poorer part of the world where they can't even afford to pay the, the cheap price of AstraZeneca? Um, you know, are we being generous? Well, the good news yesterday is that Biden, the administration, they're going to give away half a billion doses of Pfizer will now be given to developing countries. They've said that publicly yesterday. Isn't that fantastic? So in other words, the Americans have realised we need to vaccinate the developing world for fear of new variants, remember, because they will keep coming up unless we protect those countries. But the numbers are stark, as the WHO, they call it the two-track pandemic, where the rich countries are doing great. So 28% of the world's richest nations have now had lots of vaccines, only 0.3% in low-income countries massive disparity there between the, the, the 1.8 billion doses that have been given out by the way but 28% of those are in the world's richest countries and only 0.3% are in developing so it's a real difference there isn't there between the developing world and, and the rich world so it's something to keep a really close eye on yeah. And um, there's one worrying thing, I suppose, in the United States, uh, 25 percent of total COVID-19 cases uh, that are being diagnosed, unvaccinated children. So uh, already they're looking for and they have got permission for uh, 12 year olds and above to be vaccinated with various vaccines. It may well be um, if those kids get very sick they'll have to have a childhood vaccine as yeah, well. Yeah, that's one to watch. Yeah, at the moment, it's a very mild disease, a benign disease in children, remember. So it's hard to justify vaccinating children when the, when the developing world desperately needs vaccines in vulnerable groups. You see this kind of an ethical thing there, you know. But you're right, though. If, if the virus became more troublesome, a variant, for instance, in children, that might begin to justify that. But at the moment, there's no justification of vaccinating under 18s until the developing countries have been fully covered, especially vulnerable groups. Now, that, that's the fairest thing to do, really. And meantime, I think it's today in Brazil, the Supreme Court has something to discuss. The Copa America, (laughs) it may be cancelled. It was moved, as you know, to Brazil. But now the, the Supreme Court is being asked to cancel it yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, you see, the thing, the virus, we're doing well here, but many countries are still struggling, remember, and the virus is growing in some countries still and spreading, you know. I mean, it is a classic case, but isn't it, of the developing world versus rich nations and then countries like Brazil kind of in the middle. You know, there's, there's big differences between countries still there. Now, uh, some of the questions coming in from Dave and Dunleary. Can you ask Professor O'Neill, I'm due my second Pfizer vaccine tomorrow. Can I have a few outdoor pints afterwards? Absolutely. Very practical question. Absolutely. Outdoors is great, Pat. The beer gardens, remember? So so it's perfectly safe to be outdoors. And I don't be in a big crowd. That's the only caveat that we have, isn't it? The dreaded uh, South William Street notion. But it's fine to sit around a table with a few friends outdoors having a pint. That's a really healthy, yeah. well, it's good for your mental health as well as everything else. So there's no problem there. Um, does alcohol impact the efficacy of the va- vaccine? That's maybe at the heart of that question, yeah, although perhaps yeah, the pint is at the I heart see what you of it. So he was wondering, yeah, well, yeah. I wouldn't have too many pints. Let's put it that way. <laughs> There's no doubt if, if you get your blood alcohol up to a level that's like you can't drive, that, that will dampen your immune response, you know, because obviously the immune response is in your blood and alcohol is a toxin, so it will begin to limit the number of immune cells in your blood. So it's wise not to overdo it, I would say. And you, you might take a night off just to be on the safe side and then the next day it'll be okay, you know. Uh, could you ask, Luke, could variants escape the PCR test? Well, they look at that, yeah, because the, the, the PCR picks up a particular region in the spike protein. So if that changes, and some of these variants it can change, the PCR will be negative. But they're well aware of that, you see, and they know how to, how to measure that. But it's called dropout, by the way, they call that in, in the parlance of the PCR testing. So they're aware of it, and you can redesign the PCR then. to pick up. But it has been a concern that maybe there's negative tests happening and it is a variant. But there doesn't seem to be as much of that going on, which is, which is good to see. 
Uh, can you ask Luke, is it safe for my wife, who's 12 weeks pregnant, to get her second shot of the AstraZeneca vaccine? She's had her first dose three months ago and was due her second dose last week, but was afraid and nervous. Uh, she wasn't uh, sure what to do. The hospital can't answer questions as we can't get them on the phone. Um, that, it's because of the cyber attack. Right. And that's, that's still the advice. Absolutely. Go for the second shot and you'll be fully protected then. Remember, this infectious disease is a dangerous one for people who are pregnant. It can develop into severity and, and you can get preterm birth and stuff. Lots of studies on that now. Uh, there, was, there was a study about over 100,000 women who were pregnant, who were vaccinated, and they just looked at them, and nothing untoward, you know. And we knew already from other data anyway. So the data grows and grows that it's a safe thing to do to be fully vaccinated if you're pregnant. But again, if that person has any worries, talk to your GP. It's important, just in case. You know, I, I double check with the GP to be on the safe side. Now, John wants to know, I, I, if I had my first Pfizer jab last week and I'm due my second in four weeks, but I have a wedding to go to as the best man on the date of the second jab, will it make any difference if I ask to change the date and receive the second Pfizer maybe five or six weeks after the first instead of four? Is it just as effective? Oh, that's a tricky one. We, we know you've got to wait a few days after the second to be fully protected, but you will have a level of protection, let's put it that way. So to be, to be kind of bulletproof, you'd wait a few days. Now, the trouble is that for the wedding is, is that soon after the first shot, the second shot, isn't it? So It's on the day of on the, the day second of jab, yeah, so, yeah, but just observe, so he won't have had it. Observe, the, just be careful. You know, the public health guidelines, sadly enough, because just, just be careful is, is the message. There could be vulnerable people at that wedding, say, or it's a tricky one, that, to be honest. Here. It's a sad one because the best bet is to get the, if, the idea would be to get the second shot and have the wedding away. Can you ask the, the, the groom to wait a few days? <laughs> that wouldn't work, but mm. that, that would be the ideal in many ways. You could wait, but you still, you know, you've, you've only had the first shot then. The second shot will begin to work quite quickly as soon as it's in, you know, it begins to trigger the immune response. So, but just be a little bit cautious would be my advice. Yeah. Um, another question. Should myself and my husband, who will both be fully vaccinated by tomorrow, avoid spending time with close friends, a husband and wife, who have no intention of getting vaccinated? And should we do this in order to ensure the health of our elderly parents in their 80s and 90s, both fully vaccinated, and our two young children who are yet to be vaccinated? I'm concerned about the various variants. So the elderly parents are fully vaccinated, yep. and this couple themselves will be fully vaccinated is it safe to visit mummy and daddy? Oh, it is. Yeah, I mean, remember, the instruction is two unvaccinated people can meet now indoors. That's the first thing. And if you're vaccinated and someone else isn't, you can still meet with them. If they're, you know, that, that's the guidelines anyway, you know, so I wouldn't be too concerned. I mean, remember, the, the vaccine has protected everybody here. So if you did get infected or your parents got infected, they will not develop severe disease. That's what the vaccines do, you see. So that makes everything a bit more, a bit more easy, I suppose, for everybody. Uh, and uh, there are some more questions about pregnancy and the vaccines. Uh, but the the word is you're much worse off if you're pregnant and get COVID yeah. than any alerts about the vaccine because right. there are none as far as we know about yeah, exactly, pregnant yeah. people. Yeah, And then they look at the HSE, a great website. If anybody's worried about pregnancy and the vaccine, look up the HSE website. Really good information there to give people reassurance. And then, and then ask your GP is always the good thing to do anyway. They'll, they'll, they'll give you further because it's understandable if you're anxious. You know? So the GPs will give reassurance as well. A friend of mine got her first AZ jab, but then moved away to a new home in a different jurisdiction. She was then called for her vaccine. This time it was Pfizer she took. Um, she wants to go back for a second Pfizer jab when she's called. Um, so that would give her two Pfizers and one yeah, AstraZeneca. Great. Should she do this? <laughs> great protection. You've got a double suit of armour going on you there, you know, so there's no, no hesitation. And there's no worries about having a, a, sec, a third shot. We, the other thing to remember is there's a reasonable chance in the winter people will be called for a third shot as a booster. Anyway. Now, now, older people, and people, so there's no problem having a third shot of one of the vaccines. And a couple of quick ones at the end. Is it normal to feel really flat and tired after the first Pfizer? I'm 38 and I'm female. 
It is, absolutely. In fact, that, that's evidence. You might have had the infection, it turns out, there's evidence for this. So in other words, you may have been infected and without even knowing it. That's like your first shot in a way. The second shot then really kicks off the response and then you feel a bit rough, you know, so there's no, no concerns there. Okay. And finally, if the vaccine site bleeds at vaccination and then is bruised badly, will that affect the efficacy of what's been administered? No. And in fact, it might make it even better because you're triggering a good little reaction there, you know, getting the immune system really going. So again, there's no worries there. But again, if someone sees something untoward, remember, talk to the GP or in the the, the vaccination centre, you can ask someone there, you know. All right, Luke, thanks again uh, for all that information. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. 